Hey everyone, Liz Hensel here, the host of the Latina She Serve podcast. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode. I am so excited for today's episode, but before we get started, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Latina She Served. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. It really means a lot. And leave me a review on any of the other platforms that you're listening this podcast on. I love reading your reviews. Hello, everyone. So today my guest is Sam Powers, and he is a Marine stationed in Ibukuni right now. And we're going to talk a little bit about everything, but we're primarily going to focus on Brazilian jiu-jitsu and how it was life-changing for him and how he's pretty much hurting right now because he hasn't done it in months. Trust us, we hear about it all the time on social media. Isn't that right, Sam? <laughs> it's, it's pretty much my focus on social media. <laughs> So before we dive into that, tell us a little bit about you. Where are you from originally? I'm actually from Virginia. I was born in Richmond, so a little bit away from where you're at now. And uh, yeah, I moved to uh, to Norfolk uh, right after uh, 9-11, and that's where I joined the Marine Corps out of. So. Oh, was it, were you always planning to join the Marine Corps, or did 9-11 oh, yeah. just kind of like push you? Uh, yeah, I, honestly, I can't even say how much of it was 9-11, right? Um, I don't have these crazy patriotic dreams of always being in the military. My old man was kicked out of the Navy. Drugs were a huge factor in that. And so the military was not at all something I was going to go into. Um, it was, I was, if you ask anyone that knew me in high school, I was very anti-establishment, right? Like if there's a rule, I probably tried to break it somehow. Um, I was always a good kid, but if it was ridiculous to me, like, I don't know, say a school dress code, I was the one who was trying to find creative ways around the rules to violate the dress code. Um, you know, Why for does instance, this not surprise me? <laughs> I mean, like there was a, we weren't allowed to wear pajama pants in school, but I didn't grow up in a nice part of town. I didn't grow up with a lot of money. And so a lot of the times when I would shop, it would be at the Goodwill. Or if I got something off of a rack, it came from like a Marshalls, TJ Maxx, or an AJ Wright. Like that was the, still had a tag on it, name brand thing that I would get. And it's always cheapest to buy pajama pants. So I kind of found like my creative expression in wearing multiple types of, you know, just multiple patterned pants and stuff like that. And I was one of a handful of the the white kids in my school. So I already stood out, but I stood out extra in that respect. Um, and then, you know, the school contacted my dad one time and like, Hey, he's violating our dress code and he's just not listening to authority. So my dad's like, he would watch what I wear when I walk out the house. So I started wearing pajama pants underneath of my jeans and then rolling my jeans up once I left the house. And it sounds really trivial, but it was just, that was that type of mentality that I had was I was going to fight the man that way. And I was always smart. So the school didn't, they, they fought only so hard. The security guards would pull me out of like, I was in calculus class, right? Like calculus in the middle of the inner city, I'm taking a calculus class. There were only six of us in the school and they, the security guards would be banging on the door, trying to pull the kid out wearing SpongeBob pants to mm. go see the Dean of discipline. Like, really, you don't have something better to do. Um, so it was stuff like that. Um, and I would, I would explain, I'm like, listen, and I actually had this like huge paper written out and fought the system. They were like, I was like, what are, what are pajama pants? Right. 
And the dean of discipline gave uh, his interpretation of what pajama pants were. And they're like, well, they're clothes you find in the sleepwear section of a store. I was like, well, at the time, you know, if you go to Goodwill, they don't separate their clothes into sleepwear necessarily. It's men's pants and women's, you know, or children's or whatever the case is. You know, it wasn't necessarily sleepwear. They're like, well, you don't have zippers. I was like, I do. As a matter of fact, I sewed them on myself because you could go to Walmart and I would pickpocket zippers and um, in the little craft section and I would sew them on myself. Um, I'm like, well, they don't have pockets. As a matter of fact, I'm in school. I need pockets. So I only bought pants with pockets in them already because I don't have that type of ability to sew. You know, so it was one thing after another. And I beat every single one of his arguments. And it was maybe... 15 minutes into it, I hear my, my calculus class, my teacher had took, taken her, uh, she, uh, she'd taken down her posters in the classroom and had made like free Sam banners and they were chanting out in the hallway. <laughs> and so like, I was very much like fight the man protest, you know, all of this. And, um, it was, there was no like philanthropic, uh, you know, thing about the Marine Corps. It was, I, ha- I ran track and I was really good and I didn't have enough to get a full ride scholarship anywhere. Cause it was track, you know, unless you're, unless you're like the fastest man alive, you're not getting a full ride for anything uh, in terms of track. Um, and there was no such thing as a volleyball scholarship. And that was always my dream. So Janae is home. Ah, yay! Hi, Janae. Yeah, no, that's good. I just have to let her know so <laughs> she knows that. Hey, why are you on the computer right now? Speaking of Janae, you guys went to high school together, right? Yeah, we did. We went to high school together, and went our separate ways. Like you could hear the story from her, and it's very different. Oh, than she, the story oh yeah, she from told me. <laughs> she told me her side of the story. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I was a little pansy. Like I'm not gonna like I. So many things about who I was then. And it's strange to see how some of those things have changed and some of them haven't, but so many things have changed. But what happened from, from my side of the story, obviously I'm kind of going on random tangents here. <laughs> um, Janae and I went to prom together and she's, she will tell you that I was the popular kid in school. And I was just the weird kid that everyone was friends with. Um, but I, I played sports. Uh, she thought that I was pranking her. Cause even though I was one of the white kids, I was the one who, I was teased for dating her because she was extra dark. So it was a very unique uh, experience to, to, to deal with it from that perspective. And then of course my family is blatantly racist. Her family wasn't much better. And as teenagers to deal with that from your home life is very different. You know, it's a very Mm -hmm. tough dynamic. Um, And anyway, she had dated a guy at one time and then we started dating and, then uh, we went to prom together, and she will tell you that I just ignored her. And uh, she, she, like I said, she's hearing me tell the story. Um, she would tell you that I ignored her when I went to prom and went dancing with every other girl. But I will tell you, her ex boyfriend was there with one of the uh, one of the other girls who was at prom, and she paid attention to him. So, and then even to make it worse, afterwards she says, "Hey." can he get a ride back with us? And me being the little uh, beta male that I was said, absolutely. Of course, you know, you're still my girlfriend. I have no reason to care. And like, she had a like racing on the beach and stuff. <laughs> she had her, 
her, uh, her ex-boyfriend racing me on the beach for her affection. And as kids in high school, you're thinking <laughs> that's actually how that's going to work out. Like you're obviously going to win then. Right. Um, I won. And then we still went our separate ways. Uh, only reason I know I won that race is because I didn't lose races back then. Ah. I was fast. <laughs> um, <laughs> But anyway, so we went our separate ways right after high school. Um, I had already depped into the Marine Corps. Um, and I depped in really because my recruiter read me like a book. He never lied to me. We together lied to my father. Um, but uh, I depped into the Marine Corps. If you had no obligation to any branch of service, right? Because that wasn't really your calling. Why did you choose the Marine Corps? <laughs> well, because when I... When I figured the military was was like the option for me, like when I was like, all right, this is what I want to do. I didn't really know it was what I wanted to do, but I always believed in making what I believed to be well-informed decisions. And I always wanted to hear all of my options. In Norfolk, there was a mall that had all of the services and I went to everyone talking to them. And I had remembered seeing my recruiter in my high school at one point. Um, but I went to the army and they offered me like a $30,000 bonus for whatever job I wanted. And it was really cool. And, you know, oh, sweet $30,000 to a 17. I was two weeks before my 18th birthday. Right. Um, so that's a lot of money to a kid who grew up with very little. Um, right. And so I'm like, Oh, this is great. And then I went straight to the air force and the Navy. Cause I was in Norfolk. That's a huge Navy town. Like, all my friends were affiliated with the Navy somehow or knew someone affiliated with the Navy somehow. My dad was kicked out of the Navy. So like, it was all just uh, like the Navy was, Navy was everything. And they offered me the nuclear program. And uh, when they, uh, when they offered me the nuclear program, that sounded great. Well, I had a, my physics teacher was with the nuclear program in the Navy prior to working for NASA. And he told me that I would be on a submarine and there are no girls on a submarine. And at the time that was true. And so that became not an option for me immediately because that was the only thing the Navy pitched to me was the nuclear program. And I said, I'm going to be underwater without women around. Not a thing for me. And uh, so then I walked into the Marine recruiting office and there was this little short Hispanic recruiter. Now Master Gunnery Sergeant Lizalde, a great friend of mine to this day. And I walk in, he was Sergeant Lizalde and he pops up from behind his desk. And when I say popped up from behind his desk, you really couldn't tell that he was standing. Um, but I remember just the aura about the recruiting office. And I said, Hey, what can you give me? And he read me like a book, this cocky, like not like I was cocky in the fact that I, I knew that this guy could offer me something and that I rated something as the millennial that I truly am. But I didn't like, but obviously whatever he had, it had to be better because that office looked better. I remember the blood stripe going all the way back to the staff and COIC's office and like of, of the carpet <laughs> and the posters on the wall and the moto video playing in the corner and everything. And it just looked different. And he goes, I can't give you anything, man. If all you want is a bonus, then you should just get out of my office. Just like that. Didn't give me the time of day. And then as I'm walking out, cause I was like, okay, fine, whatever. He hit me with the, but if you're looking for, and he started listing all those intangibles and just read me like a book. Right. And, uh, you know, the pride of belonging and stuff like that. And I was like, all right, all right, cool. Let me hear this guy out. Obviously this sounds really good. And, uh, he asked me what I wanted to do with my career, with my life. And at the time I thought the coolest thing in the world was to be an FBI agent. And so he was like, why don't you be an MP? And I'm like, oh yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Um, but I'm going to be a Marine. 
if I want to be a marine, if I'm going to be a marine, I want to go and actually deploy. I want to do stuff. Um, I want to. And at that point, I'm trying, like, I'm trying to pitch him to let me be an O3. And what I didn't realize at the time, and I've never been a recruiter, but it's been confirmed by every recruiter I've ever spoken to, is that most act, most marines, most marines at some point in time wanted to be an O311. And some of the smartest Marines I've ever met were, were 0311s. Um, so they're not all just dumb bullet sponges is what, you know, what a lot of the, the general population would say. Um, they're incredibly smart humans. And they, the quotas, like the, the boat spaces, if you will, for those MOSs fill up very quickly. And he had not filled his Marine quotas for the month. And I was two weeks before my 18th birthday. So I needed my father to sign. My father was not going to sign for me to be an O3 anything anyway. Marines were not thought very highly of by my father for the simple fact that he was in the Navy. And obviously the, the two branches had their own source of pride and they're going to talk mess about each other, but don't let anyone else talk about them. And uh, so he basically said, hey, listen, I'll tell you what, you be an MP, you're filling the quota that I need. It's going to be an easier route for you to get to federal law enforcement and you will deploy. I assure you when you're not deployed, you're going to be playing with blue lights and writing tickets. And if you do deploy, um, which you will, and he kept telling me you will deploy, then you will be, uh, you'll be having a great time uh, doing various security missions and stuff. I was like, okay, sounds like a plan. Where do I sign? I want to sign right now. I want to sign right now. Got to do it. And my dad, uh, my dad didn't want me to, but he knew that when I committed to something, that was it, right? Like that was what I was going to do. And he didn't want to sever our relationship as a result of me wanting to rebel against him telling me no. Um, so my dad was like, yeah, sure. I'll sign for you as long as you're not going to go be a bullet sponge. You're not going to be a dumb grunt. Um, he used to say that all the time. And, uh, my best friend, his grandfather was like a helicopter crew chief in Vietnam and had dementia really bad and didn't remember much about his current life, but would only become lucid when thinking about me after having signed up for the Marine Corps. And I had long hair that was on occasion and cornrows and stuff like that. And he starts yelling at me one day when we're, after we got done cutting his grass, my best friend and I, he's like, you're not going to be a Marine. You need to go tell that, the Marine recruiter, you're not going, you're going to go to the air force. That's where you hippies go. And I'm like, like, that's what he would say to me. And, uh, so at that point it just became like, Hey, I have to do this now. There's so many people telling me I can't. Um, and I was not that person. Um, even my first few years in the Marine Corps, I had a master sergeant tell me when I wanted to become a martial arts instructor one time, uh, he was like, you're not gonna, you're not a martial arts instructor. You're the kind of guy who goes to calculus competitions with his wife. <laughs> and that's, well, he's not too far off cause I'm a math geek. That was, that was his impression of me. Um, so, you know, it's like, I, I hated to swim. I was afraid of the water. I was petrified of the water. And so when I was in boot camp, I was more afraid of not passing swim qual than I was of drowning. So I ended up excelling in swim qual. And then, you know, I was more afraid of going home a failure and, and hindsight being what it is. Boot camp was a joke. Of course, they don't like people telling people that, but it wasn't as hard as it could have been. It was more of a mental thing. It wasn't physically tough. A hundred percent agree. Um, and I don't care what anyone listening says or thinks. Um, the East Coast was harder. Um, it was mentally harder. You have to stand there while bugs eat you. 
Don't move. I can physically make it up a mountain. You know how hard it is not to scratch when you itch? Um, hard anyways. facts. Thank you, Sam. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I think that it was, uh, and that's kind of been the mantra for everything. Like when someone tells me I can't do something, I was always kind of like, all right, I guess I'm gonna, um, let me prove you wrong. You know, and I, like I had a, a Marine Lieutenant just get out of OCS, tell me that I wasn't going to make it through swim qual level two because he barely made it and he was a stellar swimmer. And so I took myself and my 13 Marines and we all made it through WSQ. <laughs> uh, we didn't get out the pool until we were done. And uh, I mean, you're talking like afraid of the water to the only reason I never tried to become a McQuist was because I didn't, I was already a martial arts instructor and I didn't want to have to be another instructor for the unit that I was in when I was already dedicating so much time to another type of instruction. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes sense. So yeah, what so were was, some of their, the duty stations that you've had? Most of my time has been in Japan. Um, I was, I started off my career in Yuma. So an air station and I deployed with 371, um, where I went out and did EOD security and you know, blowing up stuff and having a good time in Iraq. And my recruiters didn't lie to me about six months after boot camp, I was in Iraq. Um, and then, uh, I went from there to Okinawa from Okinawa. I lat moved into CID and then I went to camp Lejeune or Lejeune, however they want to pronounce it. <laughs> um, Right after Camp Lejeune, I went out to uh, Okinawa again. Um, and after Okinawa, or that tour, the second tour in Okinawa, I was a Marine Special Agent assigned to NCIS. And then I had an opportunity to come up here to Iwakuni and take over as the chief investigator. Um, and from there, that's what I've been doing. And we'll see if I'm allowed to stay out here for a little bit more. And at some point, you and Janae reconnected again because we got to yeah. go back. Right? Yeah, yeah. I, so, like, we broke up in high school. We went our separate ways. I got married to what I affectionately call my starter wife. Um, no kids, no responsibilities, no loss of credit history or anything like that. Nothing crazy. Um, but, wow, are you a unicorn? Yeah, I am. Then I go, uh, I have a case while I'm in Camp Lejeune that takes me back to my hometown up in mm-hmm. Norfolk, Virginia. And I had reached out to a handful of friends of mine, um, said, Hey, I'm in the area. I'm going to be in the area. Does anyone, you know, want to link up and hang out? And, uh, Janae just so happened to be one of those people. And she had a boyfriend and I was still, uh, I was still technically married at the time. So, you know, it wasn't like we were trying to do anything shady. Um, but she had had, I argued one is too many and she had had a, a few drinks and I had the hotel room. So I gave her my hotel room. I gave her my bed and I slept on the, the couch in the hotel. Um, and I think that was undoubtedly probably the smartest decision I could have made because if anything had ever been attempted, then there would have been like trust issues from that point on in any relationship mm-hmm. that we established, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I, uh, things didn't work out with her boyfriend, uh, you know, few months later and then uh that was all she wrote um i had her at tricare i guess no i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> no i have never met a more compatible couple like Wonder. you guys just 
are so in sync and you guys are so funny and you get each other. You know what I mean? Like, I, I love you guys. You she guys tolerates me goals. really well. <laughs> I'm, I'm a handful. I'm, I'm definitely something to, something to deal with. You know, if, if it wasn't for her, I would be in so much more trouble. <laughs> you know, and when I, I like, I go, like, she meets people and they're like, oh, I think I know your husband. And she immediately starts apologizing. <laughs> I mean, and it's like, like even my CO, like my CO's wife and my CO love her, of course, partially for what she does with the USO, but also because she's pretty Mm -hmm. great. And, you know, it's, it's unique because obviously she's not at all like me. She's so much better than I am as a human. Um, And then somehow (laughs) we, somehow she, uh, she had two of my kids. Like, how does that work out? Uh, yeah, yeah, two it's, kids it's, and the dogs and the foster kitty. Well, so she's ours now. A she's anymore. a full cat. Yeah. She, she actually, I take her in tomorrow to do blood work so she can get spayed. Oh, uh, and that's part of the other reason why we want to stay here as long as possible because mm-hmm. we've got the at this point it's three animals. You can only fly back with two, mm-hmm. and my dog is up there in age, and I don't know yeah. how many more years he's got. Like I took him on like a a walk around like just three blocks, like not even far. And he, I was pretty much dragging him. Like he's just not able to do much anymore. So just he's been around for his best life. <laughs> yeah. He's been around for a while. He spent more time in Japan than many of most people I know. And so then how did you get involved with martial arts? How did you go from calculus to martial arts? Um, McMap really. That's so I wasn't, I don't have any illusions of, what McMap is or anything like that, but that was really my first time of like, well, I, I guess Pugil Six in boot camp, right? McMap in boot camp, um, I, and that was the first time I ever had any type of physical, I guess, combat in some way, you know. And I remember, um, just this giant human being, and I was a double rat, a buck thirty-five, soaking wet in boot camp. And I remember they wrote my weight on my hand and they wanted me to fight a dude who was about 197, just solid muscle. And this guy, um, in all fairness, I think he had you know, some mental capacity issues. He was definitely yoked and strong as an ox, but he was not all there in his head. Um, I don't think he made it through boot camp. I don't recall because that was just a, if he, if he did, he didn't lie. He was definitely failure to adapt in the fleet. I just, I don't think he stayed in. Um, I know he went to a different platoon though. He was dropped. Um, but he was just a big human. And of course, this was like the, the third wave of, of Pugil six. And, uh, the drill instructor grabs me by my helmet and was like, you're going against this. He told me who it was. It was you know someone from the same side of the house, but different platoon. And everyone knew him cause he was so massive. And I'm like, this has got to be a joke. Like I'm one of the smallest in terms of weight, one of the smallest in our platoon. There's no way, like they're obviously kidding with me. And he's like, you better go in there. And I don't want you to care about the Pugil six. Just drop kick this kid with everything you got. And I'm like, that's not going to work. He's built like a tree. You ever try to drop kick a tree? Um, and I went in and completely did not drop kick him. Like the drill instructor told me to, um, I got hit really hard. And uh, the helmet spun around. Um, and so they stopped the match and then they reset my helmet. And I realized 
that even if I get hit, it doesn't hurt too bad with a helmet on. I've got a helmet on. Let me just beat this guy to a pulp. And that's really what I did. I just hit him once and he hit the fetal position because he was just really soft. He was a gentle giant and I felt bad. Um, and that's just all she wrote. I became enthralled with hurting myself. Um, cause that's essentially what it really became is I was just getting the mess beat out of me all the time. Um, I never did MMA or anything like that. Never did any of that outside of the Marine Corps, but I was always the first one to say, I don't care how big you are. Let's go. You know, if I get knocked out, I get knocked out. I got free medical. First time I ever had free medical. Like, <laughs> so I just had like reckless abandon. Um, mm-hmm. I had a master sergeant tell me when there was an opportunity to go to the MAI course, he, master sergeant told me that I was just going to go to calculus competitions with my wife and had, you know, I was just a nerd. Uh, which in all fairness was true. I was an accident reconstructionist and stuff like that for the Marine Corps. Right. So I was Mm -hmm. a nerd and uh, I I just, I I went to this course and the, uh, the instructor was an MP staff NCO. I was, I was a corporal. He was a staff sergeant who was reporting into the master sergeant every day saying, I'm going to break him. I'm going to break him. Don't worry. I still have another two weeks. I still have another three days, you know, and I wouldn't break. Um, Like they saturated a field with OC spray and then made us fight. Well, I knew what OC spray was. So I went up while the field was still wet and soaked my hands in it. So when I had to fight the guy, I just wiped my hands in his face and then I won. You know, little things like that. Like I just, I used my head. Um, and it was fun. Like, that's what I enjoyed. And so I didn't actually start jujitsu until I went to Okinawa, my first tour. Okinawa was the home of karate, but I didn't, you know, I, all I knew of karate was watching the karate kid, right? Like wax on, wax mm-hmm. on, Mr. Miyagi, or wax off, wax on. Right, right. Um, and all that Mr. Miyagi stuff. And I was like, yeah, that doesn't, not what I want to do. And they had this jujitsu instructor, Ivan Sakimoto. And he just had a way with teaching and a way with, you know, even with the language barrier, because he speaks Portuguese, Spanish, and Japanese, and English, but none of them fluently. Um, I later learned that the reason he doesn't speak any of them fluently is because he was like from like the jungle of Brazil. Mm. And his dad was Japanese. So he wow, speaks what all a of mix. it with, exactly. So he speaks all of it with just a really twisted dialect. And so like the Japanese uh, people that I would train with didn't understand his Japanese very well. His wife understood Portuguese and English, but not his Portuguese and English very well. <laughs> it was just, it was awesome. But he still had, a, even with the language barrier, he had a way of communicating. And... I trained for about a year. Then I PCS to Camp Lejeune and never trained again. Um, I then got orders again back to Okinawa. And about that time, Janae said, Hey, I'm going for my master's. She says, but I can't go for my master's without you having your bachelor's. So you need to get that. Okay. I will. And of course we had Declan at that time and Rylan was on the way she might've been on the way. I don't know if she was on the way then or was on the way shortly after. But the thought was, is, you know, I, I have to hurry up and do this before I have kids that I have to be a part of. Cause I'm going to be part of their life. And right. Uh, so 
so I, I finished my degree and like we, she got her master's the month, like basically we had the same ceremony. Um, it was like one week after another, except she, she had the kids for my ceremony. Like she was there with the kids and then she didn't want one for herself. Um, but the day that I submitted my final project for my bachelor's, I ordered my gi as like a, a graduation gift to myself and mm-hmm. immediately went back to training with the same team that I had originally trained with years prior. And that time, or I guess that most, you know, the most recent time training again, it became more of a brotherhood for me because I, the job that I was doing over at NCIS, I wasn't doing Marine things, right? Like I didn't have a Marine section or a unit that I, I still had one that I had to run a PFT with. Right. But I didn't have like that closeness that you get when you have a shift of Marines or platoon of Marines. Um, so I missed that. And I, it was so bad that I actually was like, I'm getting out the Marine Corps. I don't give a shit about it. I got up to a unsightly 200 pounds. Like I was, I mean, I, I didn't look very fat, but compared to what I'd done in the past, um, yeah, I was like, my max was 197 and it wasn't flattering. So I've, I don't even know if I could have made tape at that time. Hmm. Um, I, I was just not in a good place, um, with my thoughts on the Marine Corps, with the job that I have, you know, it was very much, you know, I only see the asshole of the Marine Corps. It sounds terrible to say that, but like, I don't, I deal with people when they're having their worst day as a victim, Yeah, possibly the worst day they've ever had. And then I would deal with the worst of the Marine Corps as the ones victimizing those people. And so I never saw the good, right? I didn't see the good. Um, even with dealing with some of the commands of those cases, you know, oh, he's, he's a good Marine. We're just going to give him a 6105. He beat the heck out of his wife. What do you mean you're only giving him a, a counseling, you know? And mm-hmm. so like, I didn't see the good of the Marine Corps. I didn't feel the good that is the Marine Corps. And I didn't have that sense of brotherhood, which is actually how like outlaw motorcycle gangs started. If you look at the historical context of that, it was all the world war II vets who came back from the war and didn't have that pride of belonging anymore. So they developed their own little crew. And that's essentially what I found in jujitsu. Um, a bunch of Marines, some civilians, all training, all having the same mutual desire to be better and to be stronger and to be faster and, and to, to progress throughout this arbitrary rank structure. I say arbitrary, it's really not, but each academy has their own methods for promotions. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just like, we're, we're, we have a goal and we would go to competitions and we would train and we would compete individually, but we would also get rewarded as a team for the amount of people on your team that did well and got on the podium. And some of the members of the team wouldn't compete, but they were still there cheering everyone on and they were still there supporting the ones who were. And it was just, it was incredible. You know, it became a family for me, something that I had been missing and what I had missed from the Marine Corps that it filled that void. And uh, it was just, it was incredible. And it was so great that I had some mutual friends, you know, some friends who came up 
came from Okinawa, went up to Iwakuni or, uh, you know, or they, they knew of me, they were TAD down in Okinawa and we trained a little bit and they went back to the academy up here in Iwakuni and stuff. And they'd be like, Hey, I got my buddies coming down. Sam, could you hook them up, you know, with a place to train, you know, maybe pick them up from the airport, whatever the case is. Right. And of course, absolutely fellow jujitsu practitioner, let me do this. Right. And like, I don't know if you knew Enrique when he was here, everyone knew Enrique. I think so. Um, but Enrique was one of the ones training here on base of his, his academy. And so we get linked up together and he's actually the instructor. He's a phenomenal uh, MMA fighter, freaking jujitsu practitioner, entrepreneur, former Sergeant the Marine Corps. And um, we had, we knew mutual friends and they reach out to me and I end up, he was coming down to Oki for surgery. So I freaking helped him out, picked him up, took him to where he needed to go. And, uh, then he came out and actually before surgery trained with us a little bit, taught us some stuff from his side of the, the, the jujitsu world. And then I get orders up to Iwakuni and because I had already had that in with him, I had it in with the team. So it was as soon as I got here, I had a team of people, a network of people already established. And so it was like my family just got transplanted. Sure. I had to relearn some names or learn some names, but we all had the same goals still. Mm. And, you know, when my sponsor didn't even pick us up from the airport and I'm traveling with two kids and two dogs, (laughs) my sponsor wasn't the one who picked me up from the airport. I set up my own hotel arrangements because I, my sponsor was doing nothing. My sponsor took leave when he heard the week that I was coming in. (laughs) Um, you know, so, but people who were there with the jujitsu team and the other friends that I had already established up here. Right. Um, so, uh, I got really, uh, engrossed with the team here, you know, like I've got, you know, the whole academy and all the, the, the Marines, they, <laughs> on the mat, they call me dad because I'm the one who's like trying to keep order. Like, Hey, did you pay your bills this month? You know, so, <laughs> um, you know, and, and Hey, you know, if you've got an itch on your skin, you need to make sure you go to medical, get some cream for that. And don't come back to the mats till it's gone. You know, Don't <laughs> yeah. forget you're, you're the new guy. Guess what you're doing? You're mopping floors. Don't worry. I'm right here with you. Let's go. You know, and that's, that's how we did it. And again, like my whole Janae trained and in Oki, she trained with the rival Academy. So like at the tournament, she wants to cheer for her team, but yet she's got to cheer for her husband. Cause he's the one she's going home to. Um, <laughs> You know, I remember like Declan being at my first tournament and I told him before we go on, before we went out, I said, buddy, if dad wins gold, we're going to get ice cream afterwards. And he's like three or something. No, he's like two or three, but old enough to understand what was going on. And I didn't realize how much he was paying attention until I'm going for the, the, the gold. I'm in the, the semifinal match for my, for my tournament or the final match for my tournament. And this dude has me, he's on top of me. And I hear Declan, he goes, Oh no, dad, do better. I want ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll, I'll never forget, I'll never forget it because I'm like, Oh the man, he's actually watching me. Like he's watching exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. And so I end up having to beat this guy. I did. Um, you know, I had my family in one corner and then at the far end of the mat, I had my coach, you know, Hey Sam, do this, do this, you know, and my coach, he's got, he's the one who put on the tournament. Like our team was hosting the tournament and he was focused on me. There were three other mats going on, right. Or, you know, like, but he's focused on me, you know? And I mean, it was, that was just the team, you know, it was, it 
It was great. Um, and I still, to this day, reach out to them and talk to them all the time, you know, see how they're doing, especially with COVID kind of decimating businesses and stuff. So all of this, right, all this, this community that you have led to something bigger than you, right? This nonprofit. Well, absolutely. And see, that's the thing is, so when I got up to Iwakuni is when I learned of the Ronin Foundation. And, you know, I'd read studies that had always said, you know, that that, while I had felt it, I didn't know that there was some type of statistical data. I didn't know, I didn't pay attention to the fact that that's what jujitsu had done for me, right? I didn't get that. Um, I just, looking back at it, I can see that now. I know where all this is coming from, but I didn't know that at the time. I just loved what I did and I enjoyed it. I didn't pay attention to where this this newfound motivation had come from. But I learned of the, the Ronin Foundation because it was the, its founder was actually stationed in Iwakuni when I got up here. And it was all active duty leadership and led. And so like the former treasurer I had met in Okinawa, she was going down to Okinawa. Um, so she had just PCS down there to be at the Naval Hospital. And the president was PCSing outbound. I think he went to Yuma. And I want to say he's going to Lejeune. No, he's going to Hawaii now. Um, but anyway, so they came up with this thing. And it was incredible because I don't know. I don't have a clue how it started. But Adam is a genius. Adam James. He's a great dude. And the foundation raises money. And because they know the tangible benefits and the, and the intangible benefits of jujitsu and the brotherhood, they said, Hey, there are so many issues with mental health in the military. Um, and they're not being addressed. Like we might address the, the, the symptom, but not the cause, right? Like part of the mental health crisis, you know, you go into like alcoholism, you know, so the base here during COVID was like, alcohol sales are up 50%. What are we really doing? Like you guys are taking one of the outlets that people had, you know, if people are, I wouldn't, I wouldn't consume alcohol and I don't consume alcohol. If I'm training the next day Mm -hmm. or even the same day, I come home and I'm too exhausted to even want to drink anything alcoholic. I just want water to hydrate and go to sleep, you know? So, um, you know, they're like, well, how do we lower alcohol sales? Well, you get people busy doing things that aren't that. You give them an outlet because people don't do things. It's unhealthy when people do those things alone, right? And that's really when it starts to get bad or when they're around other people that have those same negative traits. Whereas jujitsu, you don't have that same problem. Um, at least I haven't experienced it. Of course, every community has their own 10%, right? Um, but anyway, so it addresses that and it... it they say, hey, you know what? Active duty member, mental health concerns, whatever. Anyone has an issue, um, that an individual, if I'm a command member, I just see a Marine down on his luck and I'm just like, you know what? Maybe he's going through some stuff and I talk to him a little bit. You know, Maybe this guy could benefit from a sponsorship from the Ronan Foundation, right? The Ronan Foundation is linked up. We have members and ambassadors around the globe, like not just in Japan, I'm saying around the globe, we've got Europe, we've got every stateside duty station that I can think of between every service. Um, it is, it is not just Marines. It's not just Navy. We've got army representatives. And if we don't have someone immediately there, we've got the ability to, to communicate with the academies that are there and we coordinate with the academies and we pay for their gi. So get them a, a free gi and belt, like a free uniform 
And the reason we have to know the academy that they're going to train at is because some academies have certain uniform requirements and you're not allowed to wear certain uniforms without their specific patches on it and stuff like that. We don't want to set them up for failure and have them turned around at the door. So we reach out, we see their payment methods and we actually pay for a month of their training for free as well as give them a uniform and send and basically set them up with an academy to receive those benefits, right? Like the, the, there's something to be said about when you've got someone who's capable of choking you unconscious and they choose not to, they respect the fact that you're saying, Hey, you know what? I give up. And there's it's a very humbling experience to be constantly around people who are better than you <laughs> and that you can learn from. And it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what your physical limitations are. It doesn't matter. You just go out there, you meet people who have the same goal, who are trying to help you get better, who aren't out there being a prick, you know, on the, on the mats, there are people of various ranks and no one's out there pulling rank. You know, um, I've never, I know Adam's rank, but I don't hear it. I've never heard it before, you know, cause it's not used in any of the capacity. He's just a great dude. And the entire foundation, all the leadership they're like I said, they're all active duty. Um, I want to say every one of them is a black belt now. Um, and there, there's some incredible humans, um, and the, the foundation itself, they've been doing everything they can to keep things going. Of course, stateside places are still training, right? Mm-hmm. Um, overseas, yeah. you know, some places are here in Iwakuni. Um, I want to say that there are some people training, but I know that we're not training on the base. If anyone's training, they're violating the rules, you know? Yeah. And that's, uh, as much as I'd. I want to, I can't go there and some Lance Corporal get in trouble and then, Oh, well, <laughs> this guy was there. Yeah. <laughs> can't do that. It's not worth the risk. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, my, my son trains, my daughter turned three during COVID and for her birthday, she got a geek cause she wants to train and she's already outgrown it. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, Janae trains. And now that we're here in Ibukuni, it's the same Academy. So we can actually be on the same team. And yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's for me, it was, I would not be in the Marine Corps today mm-hmm. if I hadn't changed. I, I went through like a, a fundamental change in, in mentality, um, about my last like six months and well, I'd say closer to my last year while I was working for NCIS, um, I hated the Marine Corps, didn't want to be in, and the Marine Corps still selected me to Gunny. And I'm like, why? Um, and I had this, like, I want, I knew that, you know, the, the Gunny t-shirt that you get at the Academy, mm-hmm. <laughs> the Gunny. Um, like, I remember seeing that, that Gunny in the front of formation, and I'm like, I want to be like that guy. Um, and so I went, and the, like I said, the day that I turned in my degree, the day that I turned in my final project, I bought a gi. I got healthy. Um, I went from 200 pounds to 164, and I was shredded and competing in jujitsu. Right, um, mm-hmm. and it was jujitsu related, you know. And it was, you know, Janae seeing that she starts training jujitsu. My son sees both of us loving it. He starts training. My daughter's there while the three of us are training. So she wants to start training and it's it's a whole family affair at this point. I love it. I I really love that, that you guys get to enjoy this as a family. 
I have, so my question to you is, what is your advice for that man or woman or teen who has considered jiu-jitsu, but for some reason just feels intimidated or doesn't feel ready to go through with it? How do you get out of that and just go for it? How do you prepare for this? You don't. I mean, you just have to do it, right? Um, it's, and I was talking to you, so I, I, I tell people all the time, if you're looking for an easy way out, you'll find it. Um, it's not easy, but taking care of yourself and the mental health aspect, it's more than just physical. It's the mental aspect of it as well. Like you have to, you have to do what you have to do to take care of yourself. And physical fitness is a huge way to do that. The brotherhood of jujitsu helps in that that brother, the sisterhood, the the family aspect of jujitsu helps with that as well. And I think the best way to do it is just show up. There's, I mean, some academies might turn you off. You know, they might have a different mentality that you just don't appreciate or just doesn't mesh well with your personality. But there is an academy that will work for you. Like I said, no matter what your physical limitations are, no matter what your age is, any disabilities. I mean, the Gracie family is the number one like name when it comes to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Like everyone knows that family, right? Like it's just well documented. The Gracies. Well, they have the, the uh, they have the Gracie Bully Proof program, you know, which was designed for kids who are being bullied in school to give them self confidence. You know, it doesn't teach you to be an aggressive badass. It teaches you to freaking have self confidence and self awareness and to know yourself. And if you look at a lot of the mental health concerns for our youth today, what's the biggest thing that they're missing? It's people. It's real interaction with people. And COVID has only exasperated that issue. Agreed. So you have like if if I'm if I'm teasing someone, I'm a kid in, I'm a kid in middle school, and I'm teasing another kid in middle school, but I'm doing it via Facebook or Instagram or whatever the thing kids are using these days. I don't see that person's eyes get all teary eyed. I don't see them turning red or clenching their fist. So I don't see the damage I'm doing at that moment. So I don't know how to adjust my behavior. So I don't realize the impact of my words, possibly my actions to the extreme that I should. Mm. So I'm not getting that human interaction. I'm not learning to really talk to people and connect with people. You have to be face-to-face with some of those things. Think about what we teach our kids or what we were taught as adults is, hey, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. You look a person in the eye when you're talking to them. You don't even have to look at people anymore. And again, jujitsu kind of takes some of that and puts it back in your life. And how can we we support this foundation? So um, the the foundation is, uh, it's just roninfoundation.net. Spell that for me. R-O-N-I-N foundation f-o-u-n-d-a-t-i-o-n.net and from there you can see everything um uh you know of course the mission you know is to provide active duty military it is uh, a foundation specifically catered to active duty military who may be struggling with depression or suicidal thoughts substance abuse ptsd um and of course that outlet is jujitsu um so oh i love um, it i'm on i'm on the website right now and Yeah, it has the mission. It even has the veteran hotline at the bottom. Yeah, 
that's it, it's all about taking care of service members and addressing the mental health crisis in a positive way and it's you know a lot of the reservation is well i don't want to spend a hundred dollars to get a the uniform or i don't i don't know if i'm gonna like it well when it's paid for I mean, it takes that, that first step out of it, right? You don't have to wait in the mail for it to come in. It's, I mean, you might, but it's, you're going to have it, right? You're going to, it's already paid for. You're not wasting a paycheck or whatever the case to get started on something you don't know if you like, like we take care of it for you. Um, we've also, um, partnered up with origin, which is an incredible, uh, company, um, American owned, um, and they make, they make the geese now. And so you can go to origin and actually go through the Ronin foundation. You can also go to Amazon smile and support the Ronin foundation. Uh, they are on there as well. Um, so if you go to Amazon, uh, let's say it's amazon.smile.com. Um, and then just type in Ronin foundation, all of your purchases, a proceed will be donated to the Ronin foundation from your Amazon purchase. It doesn't cost you any extra money. It's just something that Amazon does. And again, if you think you if you think there was someone who could benefit from it, uh, then you could actually go to the website and go to the um, athlete, athlete scholarship link. And uh, and sorry, I actually uh, I said it was one month. It's actually three months that they pay. Three months of jujitsu, um, and of course, it gives you the qualifications that uh, that are required in order to receive the scholarship. You just fill out the form and send it in. It's very simple. The leadership votes, and I am not that leadership. I'm just one of the ambassadors for Iwakuni. So when we talk about ideas and whatnot, like I pitched to them, I told them, "Hey, listen, I've got a friend of mine. She's got a podcast. She's pretty awesome. She's, you know, she's all about the the, the Ronan Foundation and whatnot. And uh, it'd be really cool if we could, uh, you know, get a shout out on her podcast. Are you guys cool with it? They're like, absolutely. So you're kind of giving us another platform to, to advertise and get the word out. So thank you so much. Absolutely. This is actually one of the reasons why I created this podcast is to share these stories and to share these organizations that sometimes get overshadowed by the big ones, but that's okay, you know, because everyone has their mission. And I'm so glad that you get to share what the Ronin Foundation does because we'll definitely link up everything on the social media posts for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's, it's a great crew. Um, you know, and even if it's just someone wanting to support the foundation, um, yeah, and they course. already train, like they can, they can go on and they can buy our gear and, you know, they can just pass the word, spread the word and, and, you know, inform people on their t-shirts and you can see the, uh, the run foundation gi from origin on the website. That is, we're talking quality. This is pretty much that's top of the line. It's the best money right. can buy. And that's why it's so expensive. Um, so Sam, let me ask you, how are you holding up right now? And what are you doing to distract yourself since you cannot do jujitsu at the moment? I basically post on Facebook about missing jujitsu. That's pretty much all I do. <laughs> um, yes, you do. I, I volunteer a lot with the USO now. I do a lot of that. Um, it's not nearly as fulfilling. I know USO volunteer of the uh, month. Yeah. That's like being uh, at the front of the short bus. It's really just, Hey, I'm still on the short bus. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's fun. Um, I mean, I took that over from you, that OBC stuff and I've been running with it yeah. since. 
Yeah. Um, and then of course all the the random homework Janae comes and makes me do. Which, by the way, I told them about what Iwakuni does with the OBC here at Quantico, and they were blown away. They love that idea. Like, Iwakuni breaking barriers. We do. Well, the whole region does the OBC stuff, but we do more here than any other base in Japan. OBC is Operation Birthday Cake. Yes, sorry. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So when you left, I took that over, and uh, it's... I mean, it's easy for anyone who's got access to, to like where are Marines at, you know? Yeah. Um, and then the Navy support and stuff like that. So, you know, we yeah, reach out and, no, it's you know, a, it's a great program. Actually, I want to get Janae on the podcast and listen to her side of the story of prom night. Oh, <laughs> and, yeah. And talk about the USO and like everything that she has done. So she is, tell her, let her know. So Sam, to wrap us up, the Latina She Served podcast, you know, I'm the Latina, and food is a big part of the Latin culture. So I have to ask, what is one of your favorite foods or, like, you know, whatever reminds you of home or any specialty food that you would like to share with us? Oh, well, it's it's uh, it's the Latina She Served podcast. So, like, I oh, it doesn't know. have to be Latin based food, just your favorite food. Okay, because I mean, I feel like mm-hmm. I. I have to give a shout out to my favorite beverage of all time, which is horchata. Um, of course. <laughs> but uh, no, I, so I'm, I'm a huge fan of like shepherd's pie, which of course mm. is more of an Irish dish, which fits more into, to my life. Um, but anything my wife cooks is my thing. Um, I, I can eat pretty much anything she makes. Um, but yeah, if I was to give a recipe or something like, cause I know that you're all about those recipes. I make, Probably True. the greatest cheesecake known to man. Okay, well, I'm gonna need that recipe. Yeah. So that I can have my husband make it. He's the one that makes the cheesecakes. Yeah, I I'm I make a homemade cinnamon roll that I make Ooh. as the crust of the cheesecake. I still haven't had breakfast. Yeah. Oh, I'm in Virginia and Sam's in Japan. Past my bedtime already, and you're just waking up. (laughs) Yeah, I I literally woke up. I was like, "Sam, you busy? (laughs) You want to do a podcast?" No, and I mean, we like I said, we've been talking about it for so long. I'm like, "Oh man, I should probably be going to bed," but no, tired of not doing this. Like, yeah, I I just talk forever. You are a talker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are, but your stories are great. Like I, I like listening to. It's like, oh, Sam's front desk. Everybody, story time. Get yeah. around <laughs> that story. <laughs> no, that's that's really how it is. It's uh, there is <laughs> really? no short conversation with me. <laughs> no, but Sam, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your experience and sharing about the Ronan Foundation. And like I said, I'll put up those links so people can directly access the website and see how they can either apply for one of the scholarships or support the foundation. So thank Absolutely. you so much. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. 